This episode is sponsored by Marvel Strike Force. If you're looking for a superhero-themed mobile game, look no further. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. Your goal is to power up your favorite characters to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and beat other players in PvP modes like Alliance War and Real-Time Arena. The game is currently celebrating its 6 year anniversary, and they're letting new users in on the celebration by providing free stuff, courtesy of our unique link in the show notes. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses, and if you complete each event, you can receive special rewards and skins. Make sure to log in each day and each week to take advantage of all of the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out. We've received a unique promo code, so new users can follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. That's M-A-X-P-O-O-L. Thanks to Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode. Mike Rowe here with a radical idea. If you want to see more companies make more things in this country, buy more things from more companies who make things in this country. I refer in this case to the incredible t-shirts, sweatshirts, blue jeans, and more made by my friends at American Giant. Everything American Giant makes is made in the United States. And right now, you can take 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com slash Mike. That's American-Giant.com slash Mike. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Slash Film Show. Today is Tuesday, September 12th, 2023. On today's episode, we are going to talk about some film and TV news, including some box office talk, the latest update on the strikes, and more. Uh, my name is Ben Pearson. I'm an editor at SlashFilm.com, and I'm joined on today's episode by Slash Film staff writer and box office analyst, Ryan Scott. Hey, hey everyone. How's it going? Uh, I'm doing well, Ryan. How are you? Uh, I'm great, man. Uh, just ran 10 miles today before work, so, you Ooh, know. Nice. Uh, yeah, good stuff. Uh, feeling good. Excellent. Uh, okay, so yeah, got the got the juices flowing. Um, all right, so I wanted to kick things off with uh, a little bit of a strike update. I, we try to to check in with that where we can. I mean, this it is like the dominant story in Hollywood right now. Um, I'm not going to go into like all of the particulars, but I just wanted to give listeners like a broad stroke of what's going on uh, in case they haven't been following it as closely as we have. So. Uh, the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers, the AMPTP, the, the conglomeration of studios, uh, has not come to the table to meet with SAG, uh, the actors, basically. So that strike is still going on in, in full force. Uh, the Writers Guild of America, the WGA, that strike is also still going on in full force. But there have been more conversations behind the scenes, um, at least with the Writers Guild so far. So uh Last Friday, the WGA's negotiating committee told its members that uh, some of the legacy studio executives, so people who, they didn't mention studios, but legacy studio means Disney or Paramount or, you know, not Netflix, basically, not any of the the up and coming tech companies, um, have shown a desire and willingness to negotiate an agreement that adequately addresses writers' issues was the quote. Uh, and that is like privately behind the scenes. And um, basically the the WGA's negotiating committee is saying like, okay, well, if these individual studio people are coming to us and saying, hey, look, we can probably strike a deal with you, 
you can go ahead and do that. Like just break off from the AMPTP. There's nothing in the rules that says that you all have to come to the same conclusion at the same time. We are more than happy to negotiate with each individual studio on an individual basis and make deals and and let people get back to work for those productions. So, um, you know, whether or not that actually comes to pass, we'll see. But uh, that's the status of, of what's going on right now. Um, I think the AMPTP has since come out and said like, we are united and trying to, you know, uh, we're we're aligned in our interests and we're negotiating together to reach a resolution. So um, they're trying to to make it seem as if these companies are all, uh, you know, locked arm in arm and and are going to continue this this fight for as long as it takes or whatever. But um, you know, I, I think the realities of Wall Street and uh, these people's shareholders and the stock prices and all that stuff will ultimately be the thing that dictates probably how long uh, this whole mess goes on. So anyway, just wanted to provide that uh, update here up at the top of the show. Um, okay, Ryan, let's get into some box office discussion here. Uh, I have not really followed what what happened with the box office this past week. And so why don't you just hit me up with like the most interesting box office stories that you thought happened? Uh, yeah, for sure. So um, this was like the technically the first, you know, weekend of like the fall movie going season. Um, you typically mark Labor Day as the end of uh, uh, summer. So, um, here we are in the fall, uh, started off with a pretty sizable bang. Um, the nun two hit theaters, which was the sequel to 2018's the nun and, uh, the, I believe eighth entry overall in the conjuring universe that started back in 2013 with James Wan's original. Um, it did pretty well. Uh, now we'll have, we're saying just a second, but, uh, the raw numbers, $32.6 million, um, uh, domestically easily taking the top spot away from the equalizer three, um, which was the champion last weekend and, uh, internationally did even better. Uh, had, I believe it was a $58 million rollout. Um, and, uh, combined with today's, uh, numbers, you're looking at a, a $90 million debut pretty much. So, um, yeah, that's a really good start for the movie. I've, uh, the production budget I've seen cited is between 35 and 40 million. So, um, you've already doubled that, uh, and then some, uh, within a single weekend. Now, the only thing is that the original, uh, ended up being the highest grossing in the conjuring universe overall made like 356 million worldwide. That's not going to happen here, but it should sail to 200 million. And again, against a 35 or $40 million budget, those are returns any studio would kill for. So the conjuring universe still has a lot of gas left, left in the tank. Yeah. I was going to say that this basically just means that we're definitely going to be seeing more movies set in this universe, right? Yeah, there's no question. And I also think it's worth pointing out too, that like the original nun, like it, it was kind of a massive overperformer. Like, I don't know that anyone expected it to do what it did. And uh, yeah, but these have all, you know, been incredible hit hits. So uh, we've got the conjuring four. We know for sure is in development. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if the nun three enters the conversation here shortly. Um, you know, who knows from there, but uh horror stays winning conjuring universe, the most successful cinematic universe outside of Marvel's. Uh, what, what more can I say? Yeah. Well, you mentioned um, movies that uh, were surprise over performers. And I think the original, my big fat Greek wedding probably qualifies when you're talking about you know that categorization. Uh, my big fat Greek wedding three hit theaters this past weekend. How did that do? I did okay. Uh, worth uh, just a quick plug. I did uh, the original My Big Fat Greek Wedding for Tales from the Box Office this past weekend. 
Uh, I don't have a lot of investment in that movie, but its story of how it made as much money as it made is fascinating. Um, but uh, yeah, so uh, the third My Big Fat Greek Wedding came out this weekend, uh, this past weekend. It did okay. Um, I think this is one of those ones that was maybe hurt by the cast and stuff, not being able to go out and, you know, sort of get this on people's radar. But it, it debuted to uh, $10 million domestically and then uh, a couple million internationally. It's going to do a bigger rollout here. So, you know, sitting at like $13.4 million right now. Um, I believe the budget was in a similar range as the second one, which was like $18 million or something like that. So, you know, it'll probably be okay you know, like over, over a long enough run. Um, this seems like a, like a, like a movie that'll do really well on VOD eventually, but mm-hmm. it's kind of a shame, you know, it's not going to do like what the original did, but, uh, it, it should be fine. Yeah. Uh, it should find its audience, but you know, not exactly. Uh, I, I, I don't know. My big thing will be how this movie holds because as Barbie's starting to slip, I feel like you need a movie to sort of fill that hole. Mm-hmm. And I did sort of think this movie could sort of fill the gap for that audience. So I suspect it could hold well, and I don't know, but we'll we'll see how it goes. Okay. What other uh, takeaways do you have from this past weekend? Uh, Equalizer three took a pretty big hit, dropped uh, sixty five percent, but uh, it's also already crossed hundred million worldwide. It's it's uh, coming up on one ten. Um, I, I really, it should be only making a little bit less than the Equalizer two, which finished with one ninety worldwide. So, against a seventy million dollar budget, it should be fine as long as it gets to about. Uh, I'd say about 170 would mm-hmm. be where you where, where you'd probably call it okay. So it should it should be okay. Um, that's doing all right. Uh, Blue Beetles starting to really struggle. Uh, probably going to finish starting. Run. <laughs> well, but I mean, like really, even in terms of the holds and stuff. I mean, you're you're looking at maybe about a 160 worldwide finish. So mm-hmm. not what anyone wanted. Uh, Gran Turismo's kind of slipping. Ninja Turtles not really doing what I thought it was going to do over a long enough haul. I, I kind of thought the movie would would do a little more than it's doing, but. Uh, yeah, that's that's more or less what we're looking at, uh, I think, as far as... Uh... Oh, also, Elemental, uh, slowly but surely creeping up closer and closer to $500 million, oddly enough, still going strong. So I don't want to say strong, but it's it's kind of still adding a little bit here and there. So Yeah, yeah. And that one's still not on Disney Plus yet. I think that comes out... I don't remember. The, I don't have the exact date in front of it's, me. That's... It's coming up soon, so that's finally kind of sort of going to get there. But I mean, it's, it's probably going to end up with at least 480 worldwide and... Given where that started, just incredible stuff. Yeah, definitely. And and also speaking of incredible things, you wrote an article. I think this was actually last Wednesday, so it's it's you know quasi old at this point. But I think that the point still stands, which is the top three movies of this year are not sequels for the first time in more than twenty years, which is kind of wild to think about. Tell me about that. Yeah. So, um, look, uh, this is, I, I mean, for the last twenty-two years. So we have to go back to 2001 when the last the top 3 movies of the year globally were not sequels and that was Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, Lord of the Rings the Fellowship of the Ring and Monsters Inc all of which started franchises. Mm-hmm. But the point is ever since then there's been at least one sequel in the top 3 and as I wrote in the article in some cases like 9 of the top 10 movies were sequels. So this year, we've got Barbie as the number one, followed by the Super Mario Brothers movie, followed most importantly, I think, by Oppenheimer. We're talking about Oppenheimer being above Guardians of the Galaxy 3, Fast X, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. So pretty impressive stuff. Yes, yeah. two of these movies are definitely going to get sequels. But I think Barbie being the movie that it is, being the number one movie of the year, uh, is impressive 
And I think, you know, the idea that Mario being able to be made like outside of like the Disney system and you sort of take like Universal and Illumination getting that spot, I think is pretty impressive um, and good because Universal and Illumination can make these movies a little cheaper. Mm -hmm. Uh, So like, so I think that's a good thing. I think that's healthy. And uh, yeah, so I mean, you know, you've also got like Elemental in the top 10 worldwide right now, which is pretty cool, uh, which we just talked about. So like another original in there. Um, so yeah, that's good. You know, I think that's a good thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's really, um, I, I don't know if we're yet at a point where we can say like, this is a trend. People want new things, but I think what it tells studios is you can't just keep going back to the well. You've got to sort of invest in, even if it's IP, you got to try to get fresh stuff going because, you know, people want this stuff. And then in this case, you're going to get, you know, you got two new franchises here. Uh, so I think, you know, that's the lesson. Yeah, you can definitely have your Guardians 3 and your Fast X, but in and amongst that, you got to have some new stuff too. Yeah, I think that's my my big takeaway from that as well is like just the fact that you can you can put Oppenheimer next to Guardians 3 and say, look, this movie made more than a Marvel superhero movie. Like, uh, you know, let's call it uh, five, 10 years ago. That probably wouldn't have been the case um, for, for a movie. I mean, who knows with Christopher Nolan of it all, like maybe, but like right. the, the idea that, um, that a movie like that would outgross Guardians 3, uh, yeah, is, is definitely a big deal. And I think ho- hopefully speaks to exactly what you're talking about. Like at, at least, if not like a wholesale abandoning of um, superhero movies, which we know is probably not going to happen anytime soon, especially with James Gunn, like ramping up his new DC universe. Uh, at least hopefully it will be um, a marker that people can look toward a sort of like light at the end of the tunnel or like shining example on the hill or whatever you want to say of like people saying, okay, this kind of thing is possible. So let's maybe, maybe take some chances. I know that Hollywood studios are like, uh, famously risk averse so um taking chances is not really in the business model right now as much as it as much as we would like to see it but um but hopefully these movies performing as well as they have will will at least uh maybe edge people off the fence into making some more interesting decisions moving forward so yeah and and i agree with that and i think that like you know uh teenage mutant ninja turtles mutant mayhem is going to do well enough where i think like the the key thing is if you look at like across the board the movies that have done well this year they've kind of been pretty interesting takes on material like creed three um you know john wick four some of these other ones so hopefully yeah that that lesson sort of bleeds true that like at at scale at any of these levels there is a kind of consistent theme going on this year yep okay so you mentioned ninja turtles um we're gonna take a break and then we'll come back and talk a little bit more about teenage mutant ninja turtles Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. All right, so I had actually had the chance to speak with Kevin Eastman, who was the co-creator of the original Ninja Turtles comics, and he's been an executive producer on a lot of Ninja Turtles uh, media. He was like him and Peter Laird co-created the the uh, entire franchise, I guess you want to call it that. It's become you know bloomed from this basically like parody comic into 
the the generation spanning hit that it is. Um, and so it was really cool, you know, as somebody who grew up on watching Ninja Turtles stuff and dressing up as Ninja Turtles for Halloween and had I probably had turtle themed birthday parties and all that stuff as a kid playing with the action figures and all that to be able to talk to the guy who who sort of like helped make all that happen was a really cool thing. So yeah, I messaged you when I saw you were doing this because like I rarely get like interview jealousy, but I was like, oh my god, that's so awesome! Like <laughs> I, I'm I'm a huge Ninja Turtles guy, and I and I think like yeah, like I nothing but mad respect for Kevin Eastman. So I thought that was really cool. Yeah, and so I think you mentioned on a previous episode of this podcast that uh, Mutant Mayhem might be your favorite movie of the year so far, and I think it might be mine too. I, I was shocked at how much I loved that movie. So it certainly felt like it while I was watching it. Like I don't know for sure, but like as I was watching it, I was convinced that like I didn't like anything more than I liked that movie. While yeah, yeah, that's it. a good that's a good distinction and a good way of describing how I felt while watching it too. It's just that like you know uh, being infused with a sense of a sense of joy and like. Um, um, you know, being sort of uh, awe inspired and blown away by like the aesthetics of the movie and all that stuff. So um, anyway, uh, I, I in this interview with Kevin Eastman, he told me a little bit about uh, I asked him about like, were there any potential uh, Turtles adaptations that he heard about that ended up not moving forward? Because there have been a ton of movies, obviously, the TV show, et cetera, et cetera, a bunch of shows, actually. Um, and he told me this little story about how Roger Corman's company, New World Pictures, uh, originally, I guess they came to uh, Eastman and Laird and pitched the idea of a bunch of uh, then popular comedians um, basically don like doing a live action version where they paint their faces green and wear a, sh a shell, a really low budget movie. And uh, this just sounded totally insane to me. There are four people that we know of who were, um, I guess, uh, lined up to do this. I don't know if like offers actually went out, but like these names were part of that pitch. I'm not going to name all of them because I encourage people to go click on the, the articles in the show notes to, to get the full story here. But I did just want to point out two of them. So, um, <laughs> so uh, Sam Kennison was one and maybe some of our younger listeners might not know, but he was a legendary comedian. And Billy Crystal was another one that I think everybody probably knows who Billy Crystal is. So just imagine Billy Crystal in like the late 80s or something in a low budget Ninja Turtles movie with his face painted green and wearing a shell. Um, Ryan, like I, I was kind of blown away by like the just the the psychosis of that imagery, like the psychotic nature of what that might have been like. Do you have any uh, any thoughts like on on uh, just this bizarre alternate universe version of Ninja Turtles that we might have gotten? Look, I think the 1990 movie that we did end up getting is like an it's, it's not even just like a good movie for kids of that era, but like it's actually kind of an important movie. So I feel like it, I don't want to erase that, but I also like. God, do I want to live in the parallel universe where this movie also exists? Like, and if you don't know who Roger Corman is, I don't know if everyone knows that name, but the guy has over like 600 producing credits. He is like a B movie legend, like everything from Little Shop of Horrors to like Carnosaur. The guy has just churned out movies. He's in his 90s still making movies. But so the I, my favorite thing is once you look at the four comedians that are listed, try to figure out which comedian is playing which turtle because I couldn't do it. <laughs> yeah, I, literally, I, I literally couldn't do it. I was like, who is I, I at some point? I don't even know if it matters because I don't know how faithful they would have been. But like also this would have been so early into the Ninja Turtles run because it was before the 1990 movie. So like, you know, this would have been probably a few years after the comic and maybe right after the show started. Mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. i don't know it's just it's so wild to, to consider what that might have looked like so i don't know i i 
fascinates me to no end. And uh, I don't know. It's an interesting thought experiment, but one that yeah. we won't, uh, one that we won't ever, you know, resolve. But pretty interesting. Yeah, and and as uh, Ryan said, Roger Corman, like huge producer, a uh, ton of um, up and coming filmmakers, like got their start, and he he took a bunch of people under his wing, people who went on to become gigantic directors in their own right. I mean, James Cameron, Ron Howard, like the list goes on, like huge, huge names. So uh, Roger Corman is certainly like one of the um, like pantheon filmmakers of the past 60 years or whatever you can call it that. Um, so yeah, just a, an incredible uh, force in the world of movies. Um, so from Billy Crystal playing a Ninja Turtle, I, I was thinking like, the next story involves John Claude Van Damme, Ryan. And I was like, you know, John Claude Van Damme, like what if there was an, an alternate universe where Van Damme was a turtle? That, that makes more sense to me. At least he has like martial arts skills or something from like, you know, that period before he became a superstar. Like he, he really got his, you know, kicked up into like mainstream um, fame, I think in like the, the late eighties, early nineties. Um, so like maybe he would have been right on the edge there, but anyway, this is just a, a way to transition into this Van Damme related story, which is, uh, he's going to be appearing in the new Mortal Kombat game. And I just wanted to kind of clear out and give you some room to talk about this because I know that you're really looking forward to this game. I, I am. I'm, I, I mean, obviously like as a younger kid, you know, video games have been an enormous part of my life, my whole life. And so like, you know, Mortal Kombat was always like a little bit taboo because it's, you know, it's like very violent and stuff when you're younger. But so I, I've liked Mortal Kombat for years and, and uh, particularly the past few games have been really good because they I don't know if people know this, you know, they've done very, very strong stories in the last few games, which didn't used to be part of it. So there's like story modes where they have these like really incredible cinematic stories where you kind of just fight in between. And, and so I'm really looking forward to the new one because Mortal Kombat 11 was so good. But what people might not know is that uh, uh, Ed Boon, the co-creator of Mortal Kombat, when back when they were originally trying to put together a fighting game, their original joke was like kind of a joke pitch, but really what they wanted to do was make Van Damme the video game. Like that was kind of what they were trying to do. And his people turned them down. So now all these years later, Jean-Claude Van Damme is in Mortal Kombat 1 as Johnny Cage. And it's like vintage Van Damme. It's not like current Van Damme. It's like kickboxer Van Damme as Johnny Cage. <laughs> and I just like, I was so excited with like Brad who worked, he messaged me. He's like, do you want to write this up for us? I'm like, hell yeah, I want to write this up for us. I was like, <laughs> and the trailer for this, if you can find it online, the, 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 it's, it's just Van Damme, like beating the hell out of several like famous Mortal Kombat characters. And the, 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 the fatality they have in there is, is just so it's just so delightful. And like so many levels, like even if you don't plan on playing or buying the game, like just seeing Van Damme, like in his prime, like ultra violently kick ass is just so <laughs> it, it's just, it, it's really fun. And I, and I think, and also like, I don't know if people know this, Megan Fox is in, is in Mortal Kombat one as well. Like she's playing like a new character and like lent her likeness to the game. And like, so it seems like they're really kind of, going all out for the new one so i i don't know but the the, the van Dam thing can't be topped for me I, like if wow. you said in 1993 like you know or 1994 or whatever like john claude van Dam is paying like johnny cage you'd be like oh my god absolutely do that you know and like so it's cool that he's you know now because like in a video game you can sort of 
get him in that way that you can't get him now. Like it's not quite like that de-aging technology, which isn't quite there. Like mm-hmm. you buy it in a video game, which I think is pretty cool. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And uh, okay. So Mortal Kombat one, you've said that a couple times. That's the name. That's the, uh, the title of the new game, which is confusing because it's like certainly not the first game, but they're kind yeah, of like it's a, restarting it's a, it. They're rebooting the continuity. So the last game, like I mentioned, there's a story mode, Mortal Kombat 11 messed with like timelines and there was like a time bending villain and, so at the end of that one, it all kind of the timeline kind of shattered. So this one is kind of like, I think they're sort of trying to create like a new entry point for people to sort of jump on easily. And so, yeah, yeah it's called Mortal Kombat 1. So new fans, old fans, get get your kicks. And uh, I believe uh, the street date is September 19th, but I think like early access is September 14th for the game. So check it cool. out. Yeah, I had no idea about the Megan Fox thing. I also didn't know about the history of Van Damme with the Mortal Kombat franchise. So that's really interesting too. Um, but yeah, I, and uh, I'll link to your article about it in the show notes, which has the the trailer uh, in there. So you can, people can can check that out easily there. Um, all right. So I wanted to talk about two trailers uh, real quick before we wrap things up today. Um, Mike Flanagan has a new Netflix show coming out called The Fall of the House of Usher, which is based on uh, the world of Edgar Allan Poe. He's been doing these Netflix shows that are not direct adaptations of any one uh, book or whatever, but like more sort of... Um, incorporating a bunch of different elements from uh, different authors. And uh, I have not seen any of these, actually. Um, I know that they're, like, really beloved in the horror community. Uh, Ryan, I know you're a big horror fan. Um, what's your relationship to these Mike Flanagan Netflix projects, and are you looking forward to Fall of the House of Usher? Uh, I mean, like, in general, I think Flanagan is, you know, like, horror's gift. You know, like, he's right up there to me with, James Wan or anyone else you want to put in that category of like modern horror masters. And um, I'm more of a movie guy, but Flanagan's a guy that I've made exceptions for where I watched Haunting of Hill House, I thought was great. And Midnight Mass in particular is I'm not even a big vampire guy. Midnight Mass is incredible. Uh, So I and I love (laughs) I've heard such good things about these shows. Yeah, so good. Midnight Mass is the one if you're going to do one, that's the but so I, I love Edgar Allan Poe. I have this tacky Edgar Allan Poe shirt that's like a Mask of the Red Death, but it's like looks like a metal band made it. It's 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 like one of my favorite shirts. But point being, you marry Flanagan with that, and like there's even stuff like Mark Hamill is in this, like yeah. Mark Hamill in horror. I'm like, absolutely, let's go. I think the trailer looks great. Um, I, I don't know. There's like a lot of really intriguing imagery, and Flanagan is a guy who has proven time and time again that like provided with material to adapt, he does a phenomenal job particularly Stephen King so you know him taking on Poe oh my god absolutely yeah I love the idea of Mark Hamill popping up here because Flanagan has had this acting troupe you know people who he works with over and over and again and and I I, you know like Carl Lumbly is in this uh who popped up people may recognize him from Alias back in the day he was also in Falcon and Winter Soldier um so it's exciting to see him have what appears to be a, a pretty sizable role in this um, Bruce Greenwood, who he's worked with before, Carla uh, Gugino as well. Carla like, Gugino, yeah. And then um, uh, you got what Rahul Kohli in there. You got um, uh, Henry Thomas. I Henry mean, Thomas, yeah. yeah, who from ET, by the way, like Henry Thomas, like now, like a grown ass man, like doing Mike Flanagan stuff is pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I just wanted to put this on people's radar. The trailer for this came out uh, this morning. So if you haven't seen it yet, uh, check it out. There's a link in the show notes. Um, and yeah, maybe one of these days I'll get around. Maybe maybe this October I'll finally get around to watching one of these Mike Flanagan horror shows. Because like you said, I've, I've seen some of the movie stuff and, and enjoyed his work there. Um, and you know, every single thing I've heard from horror lovers is like 
this guy is the real deal when it comes to these uh, long form Netflix shows. And yeah, did and you ever out. watch a uh, Gerald's game? The, the I did. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So like, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So yeah. you're familiar with the, you know what he can do. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, definitely. I just haven't, haven't uh, taken the dive into his TV work yet. I think it's just the, I don't know, maybe it was the Netflix of it all that kind of put me off of like, ah, Netflix has such a, a reputation for like Netflix bloat, you know, like these, these episodes that just kind of, uh, tread water and don't move things yeah. along and, and whatever. Yeah. But, um, but maybe, maybe even if that happens in a Flanagan project, like I'll enjoy sitting in that world longer than I would, you know, some other, uh, auteur well, I'll of tell a Netflix you, project. if my, I'll tell you, I think you've probably heard me bitch just as much as anyone. I hate that. That's part of the reason I avoid a bunch of TV and the stuff I've watched. I have not felt that an ounce with Flanagan stuff. Okay. That's good. Again, particularly midnight mass where like, I feel like, I, I feel like you could have made that one a movie, but I, I think it actually works. In, and it's only like six episodes, I think. So like it really, it, they're not overextending themselves. It moves. So if you're going to try one and my word means anything to you, you know. Okay. All right. Midnight. My, all right. I'll, I'll, I'll put that one at the top of my list and see if I get to it this year. Um, the other trailer that I wanted to mention is for a show called Monarch colon Legacy of Monsters, which um, I don't know, kind of a terrible title, uh, but it's the show that we've been talking about on this podcast for a while that is set in the uh, monster verse, the legendary monster verse, the world of Godzilla and King Kong. Um, these movies that have been coming out since 2014, there's now going to be a, a live action series uh, that is going to be coming to Apple TV Plus. I think we talked about it when the casting came out that Kurt Russell and Wyatt Russell were both in this show. But now the first trailer is out and we know um, the official logline of the show. I'm going to read the description here. Uh, in this epic journey, which follows the thunderous battle between Godzilla and the Titans that leveled San Francisco and the shocking revelation that monsters are real, Monarch Legacy of Monsters tracks two siblings following in their father's footsteps to uncover their family's connection to the secretive organization known as Monarch. Clues lead them into the world of monsters and ultimately down the rabbit hole to Army Officer Lee Shaw, played by Kurt Russell and Wyatt Russell, taking place in the 1950s and half a century later, where Monarch is threatened by what Shaw knows. The dramatic saga spanning three generations reveals buried secrets and the ways that epic earth-shattering events can rever reverberate through our lives. Um, Ryan, I remember you and I talking about this on a previous episode of the show, and we were like, really? A Godzilla show on TV? Like, that's... <laughs> Are they going to be able to do that in a convincing way? And uh, after this first trailer, what do you think about the answer to that question? I am so, I'm trying to think of a way to say this without being like gross or inappropriate. I'm so excited. Just let's just play. excited doesn't cover it. But like, man, oh man, that trailer, there's like 50 things that like got me like thrilled about this. I, I, I cannot wait i wish i could go see every episode in a theater i'd go every week <laughs> i can not wait for this show i am like let's go i could this is everything that i want like this is this is how you get me excited about a tv show <laughs> i cannot wait for this show i have to say like i've been pretty mixed on the monsterverse stuff so far so there was 2014's godzilla which i feel like a lot of people love i know you love that movie ryan yeah um i'm I'm uh, didn't love the human characters. And so much of that movie is centered on the human characters that I, I kind of thought they were like a charisma black hole. So I wasn't a huge fan of that one. Uh, Kong skull Island. I liked a lot more, but still didn't like out and out love. It wasn't like one of my favorite movies of the year or anything, or even huh. like one of my favorite action movies, but I, I thought it was like a big step up. So I enjoyed that. 
Uh, Godzilla King of the Monsters is legendarily terrible in my view. Like just awful. Like one of the great trailers of all time. One of yep. the, the really bad blockbuster the movies. Single, I can't remember being more disappointed ever coming out of a movie theater. I was crushed. Yeah. And then I liked 2021's Godzilla versus Kong. So I'm like, I'm kind of like on this weird seesaw with, with this franchise. And I can't decide if... I liked this trailer, Ryan. I got to say, I liked this trailer. I love seeing Kurt Russell and Wyatt Russell play the same, the same character over, you know, across decades or whatever. And like, I, I feel like Al Pacino and Godfather three were like, just when I'm out there trying to pull me back in or whatever. Like, is this going to be the thing where I'm going to commit to, you know, multiple hours of a Godzilla show or Godzilla slash, uh, slash, um, uh, King Kong show or whatever, and be ultimately disappointed and having, you know, invested all this time in this thing. Uh, is this going to be the thing that like, that tricks me into watching this? Basically, I don't, I don't know. I can't decide whether or not I'm going to commit to it. But like the behind the scenes team uh, is is great. Like Matt Shackman, who is going to yeah. be directing the upcoming Fast, uh, Fantastic Four movie, and he's directed uh, WandaVision and It's Always Sunny and Game of Thrones and a bunch of TV um, is going to be directing, I think, the first two episodes of this. Uh, Matt Fraction, the comic book creator, um, Eisner Award-winning comic book creator, uh, is part of the writing staff or, or one of the co-creators of the show, even, I think. Um, so, I mean, yeah, there's there's a lot of, like, great people and, and uh, puzzle pieces seem to be coming into, into place. Uh, I know you're excited about this one, Ryan, and I just, I hope it pays off if for yeah. no other reason, then I just don't want this to disappoint you. Cause I know how disappointed you were <laughs> after like, you know, Jurassic world dominion for yeah, example. Yeah. Um, but I, but I, I think my thing is I was so, cause we, like you talked about our conversation, I got, it must've been last year at this point, but like, you know, when this was announced, I was like, cause one, it was weird that it was going to Apple. Like you would have thought HBO max at the time, but, but my big thing was like, are they going to be able to like do this? Like, can they spend the money and do this? And I got to tell you a couple of those shots of like Godzilla and some of the monsters stuff. I'm like, they're doing it. Yeah. And like they, they are not, unless they put every good shot in the trailer, which I right. don't think is possible, but like, and you're paying Kurt Russell and you're paying like John Goodman and you're paying like, and I love the multi-generational story. Like, man, it really looks like Apple just said, fine, you know, yeah. <laughs> like, here you go. And yeah, I, man, even if they don't do a second season, I, it looks like I'm going to be really happy the, that the accountants didn't sort of check this one too much because it looks like they spent a fortune on it. So. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, that, that trailer came out. Um, let's see, that was like a, a few days ago now at this point, but, uh, again, there, there's a link to that in the show notes. So you can check that out if you haven't seen it for yourself. And I, I'd be curious to know like what the listeners think about, um, both Monarch legacy of monsters and also the fall of the house of Usher. Like, where does that rank for you guys on your scale of, Mike Flanagan excitement projects and all that kind of stuff. I, I would love to hear from y'all. So um, you can email us and let us know. I'll get to that information in just a second. But in the meantime, you can find more about all these stories that we mentioned on today's show at slashfilm.com and linked inside the show notes for this episode. The Slash Film Show is published two times a week, bringing you the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site. You can subscribe to the show on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please subscribe to our newsletter. There is a link in the show notes for that as well. Send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns, and mailback topics to us at bpearson at slashfilm.com. Make sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. Don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends, spread the word. Thanks for listening, and we will talk to you next time. 
say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.